Hi, everyone, and welcome back to the Sarah Rose podcast. I am like floored by the person I have on today. Her name is Clara Cahill, and I know you all know who she is because she was the most requested name in my box there the other day. And I was buzzing because I already had her scheduled to come on. But it's hard to sum up Clara's story in like an intro sentence. But she is somebody who has been in the foster care system. I think about what 27 been in 27 homes in her life um she's had a mother that has dealt with alcoholism growing up she has experience with the mental health services in this country she has attempted suicide and she talks very openly about that in her social media and mental health and um, she's lost people to suicide and she's just overall one of those people where she tells your story and your jaw just drops and I just think she's an absolutely like on like trailblazing like just a powerful powerful human being and I am genuinely genuinely thrilled to have you on the podcast I had to look down there say next as all I'm like going red I'm nervous but I'm genuinely like blessed to have you on so thank you very much and yeah do you want to introduce yourself to the people thank you so much for all that I'm actually yeah. like mortified with you how you just picked me up there um no. it's so weird when you hear like someone else say something back a- about yourself you're just like I'm yeah. just like regular old me you know I watch friends all day and I do this and I just I'm not any different than anyone else um this is always like my the hardest question and I think <laughs> this is something everyone takes for granted when someone says uh, introduce yourself or where are you from I find this question very very difficult because I don't really have a regular answer um so my name is Claude Gall I'm 28 and I'm originally from Dublin I'm, I'm currently living here however like I said I was fostered so in total I've moved around I think this is my 27th 27 time that I've moved so you think it gets easier the more you move but you actually accumulate more stuff and it gets harder so don't <laughs> um I went to seven different primary schools so I I always kind of tell it like this I was born in Dublin yeah I made my communion in Kildare I made my confirmation in Offaly I graduated in Limerick and I don't know where I'm going to die but hopefully it's somewhere sunny <laughs> <laughs> Um, when you're really old and happy (laughs) there's a few other ones in there lived with me for a little while Wicklow in there too back and forth to Dublin back and forth from house to house so um I kind of say so I I spent the first seven kind of years of my life were were quite wishy-washy and then after that it was it was Kildare my communion Wicklow um to Offaly so I spent all my secondary school years in Offaly and then I did eight years in Limerick. I went to college in Limerick in 2011 and I stayed there until 2019. And then I'm back again in Dublin. So home to me is, I'm currently living back in my grandmother's house, which is a house that's been in our family for the last hundred years. So I would have been in and out of this house a lot um, with my mother, without my mother. Um, and I'm back again. So this would probably be the closest thing that I would have to a home base I guess um but I wouldn't have like you know a childhood bedroom or anything of that kind of sort um awfully was a huge part of me because I obviously I was my teenagers there um I played GAA I was on the county teams I played football I believe I'll talk a little bit about this I believe GAA saved my life really um 
I would have made a lot of my friends. I would have grown up a lot from 12 to 18 there and then moved to Limerick. Didn't know anybody. Went to do my dream course, which was animation and built my life there. And that would have been the first place I would have considered home. And I would still say that a huge part of my heart is in Limerick um, and always will be because I've had my worst years, but I've also had my best years there. Um, but I'm back in Dublin now. So, yeah, kind of a bit of everywhere. I always say like if I was a dog, I'd be a, like a mongrel. I always find that the mongrels are the ones that are the, the, the dogs that are picked out of the pounds and they're, and they're the nicest, cutest, still most loving dogs. So I'm hoping about okay. that kind of... My dog's a mongrel and he's the baby, so... <laughs> They're designer dogs now. Everyone's saying more to have mongrels rather than purebreds these days. So exactly. Anyway. Yeah, it's 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 a lot. It's hard to kind of summarize it all up. Um, so that's kind of that's that's kind of it. Much else. I actually feel like I'm like I'm like I can't be the one podcasting this person. Like I'm actually, I just think you're like unbelievable, like unbelievable. And then when we were talking before this, and you're sending me your voice notes, I was literally listening to some, but I was really thinking, I was like, how can I even reply to this girl? I was like, I actually speechless um you're a genuine a genuine inspiration and I don't use that I don't use that word lightly things thrown around easily and I really don't take it that way and I think everyone else at the end of this series this is definitely gonna be more than one podcast for everyone who's just starting now but um I think I think anyone who listens to this will agree and anyone who's familiar with your story so let's let's read it back from the start the first topic we're going to talk about is having an alcoholic parent. Your mother was an alcoholic. Um, and I think that's something in Ireland a lot of people can relate to. Yeah. I think there's more people, there's more people with alco- alcoholic parents than what people say. It's, you know, Irish culture is keep everything about their families hush hush. Keep it in the family. Don't be telling anyone else. This is family business. Don't let the neighbors know. Don't let so, the neighbors see. Yeah, a hundred percent. Like, and which leads to a lot of suffering and silence. Like, because you feel if you talk about it, you're, you know, like bringing your family shame and you just don't talk. It's just such an Irish thing, which means a lot of people really, you know, have suffered in silence, like I said, and don't have the tools to cope. And so I think you talking about this is hugely beneficial I I can think of you know people have been in similar situations and it's just it's something that really does need to be spoken about more especially in Irish's context because drinking is so hugely a part of our culture but so that brings me to the first question which is what is it like having an alcoholic parent right so before I start I just want to trigger Warren and whoever listens it is intense um there is discussions about suicide and suicide attempts and obviously alcoholism um so just if it's something that you might be be triggered by just make sure and and just turn off whenever it might get too much or um be sure to have someone there support if you find that this might be a bit tough to listen to because it's not an easy listen um by any means but i my mother was an alcoholic before i was born she had a daughter before me that was um, given to my grandmother to look after. And I was then planned, believe it or not, and I was still given away, <laughs> which isn't the flex. But she got with my dad and at the age of one, he left um, due to a number of different reasons, drink, violence, you name it. And 
she obviously I don't really have that much memory of when I was that young but from so some of the memories I have as a young child I I like to think and I'm like I can't have been that young like there's no way I was that young when that was going on a lot of my memories are of we would have moved around a lot and a lot of my memories would be of her coming in drunk telling me she was going to the shops coming back four hours later absolutely like hammered um a lot of throwing things locking me in my bedroom shouting screaming me crying a lot of things like that a lot of things of I would have been passed from like different aunt's house while she went off on benders um so I didn't have stability for the first eight years of my life stability just wasn't there I repeated junior infants I went to school in um Loretta's there in Crumlin and I had to repeat because my mother couldn't bring me half the time because she was too drunk um so I missed half the school year um there I used to live with one of my aunts as well that lived up in church town just by Rathfarnham and a lot of my memories are me waking up and running downstairs to see if she was downstairs had she come in she'd have been passed out on the on the on the couch um a really really sad memory that I could think of is when I was here in this house and I can't have been any more than probably five and she had gone out drinking and come home and sat in the chair and fallen asleep in the chair but she had had a cigarette in her in her hand and it was lit and I remember standing there in the stairs thinking if she had dropped the cigarette that the house was going to go on fire and we'd we'd all die and I turned back around and went back upstairs because I thought well if that happens at least this would all be over which is really really like a really sad thing to think about because like I can't have been any more than five um and there was a lot of things like that she was in and out of rehab um three times I think maybe when I was up to the age of eight um so like I, I was told for a long time she was sick that she was sick, your mum was sick, your mum was sick. And I would visit her in rehab and I would bring her cards and say, get well soon, mum. And I was the only one that had like a mother-daughter relationship with her. She had another another girl after me called Alana, um, who is literally my best friend. She's two years younger than me. But I didn't know she was my sister until I was seven I think and Alana didn't over two years later so my other aunt couldn't have kids so she took Alana when mum gave birth to Alana and we did we thought we were cousins for years and um didn't know until we were that little bit older so she had had her as well but in between that I still lived with mum back and forth again I was being put back and forth to different houses people remind me for months at a time she'd be there she wouldn't be there she would be there um, moving in and out of different houses, going to different schools, and the same sort of thing would happen. Um, like I would, I have another memory of her, like being passed out on the couch, and like me going in, and like because she had obviously taken prescription tablets with it, like I couldn't wake her up, so I thought she had died, and like I was ringing my nana at the age of six on the house phone, like knowing how to dial the number, going like. Mum was dead, mum was dead. So like a lot of my childhood was spent kind of like that, which is, it's a bit mad to think back on because I'm like, I was so, so young. Um, but I loved her to death and all I ever wanted was my mum. 
which was a really, really sad thing about it. So no matter where I went, whether it was whatever aunt I went to, all I wanted was when my, my mom because it was all I ever knew. And because when she wasn't sober, or sorry, when she was sober, she was the best in the world. And that's what made it the hardest. And I think as well, people kept telling me she was sick, so I thought she'd get better. Yeah. Nobody ever was really, like, honest about it. Um, yeah. Now, obviously, I was quite young, but it was a case of where people thought... I would just like your your mom is sick and she's just in hospital. So I just assumed that someday she'd be better and we'd be back. We'd be back together. Yeah. Um the last time the last time I lived with her, she got she got pregnant again with a man that I is actually still in, in still in my life and was probably the only father figure I've ever had. Um, but she got pregnant again. And I that was so, she, so Samantha was born in 2000. So I would have been seven okay. and they decided to give her up for adoption because I guess he wanted and saw what happened to me and how things went and didn't want the same for her and thought that was the best option. Um, so after that, mum's drinking spiraled downward and 2000 was the last the last time I ever lived with her and um, we lived in a little place called Grove Park there in Rathmine so I pass it all the time mm-hmm. um, I do have some good memories um, but not so good memories as well again of her coming in drunk and being volatile and being somewhat violent and being loud and all the rest um, so a lot of my childhood is, 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 that, kind, is that kind of memory with her Um after that I lived with um a different aunt and I went I moved to Churchtown I think full-time and then we went to Kildare and I made my communion there I actually don't know how long I was in these places I would love to sit down and try to figure out but I don't know if I like I'm it's hard for me to piece together what yeah. month when or did I spend a full year there did I not I went from Kildare then I went to Wicklow and I know Wicklow had made I had made my communion in first class, but yeah. they were there in second class. So I was already ahead. But I moved back to Dublin, I think a third way through that that class in second class and started second class in Tala. I can't be sure though. So like I don't have a full timeline of my own life. Um do you find that when you think back at this stuff, are some of the memories vivid or do you have holes in your memory, things you've just blocked out? Um, there's some things that like some people will remind me of and I'll it'll jog a little bit and then I'll be like um, no don't remember that but there are some very very clear memories like the like standing on the stairs with a cigarette yeah. um, uh, she tried to take her life a few times as well which are very vivid memories and when I think back I'm like I had to have been older than six there's no way that I could have thought about things the way I was thinking about them at that age but I guess I always had to be the bigger person almost yeah um, I, had, situation. I, had, I had to grow very 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 fast and um there's a lot of memories that could, it could have been yesterday and when I think back and it's a lot of stuff I do in, in, in therapy or had been doing in therapy was like the inner child work and going yeah. back to these times and and giving little Clodagh a hug and thinking about that, that small little girl that just knew, knew no difference um but yeah it's hard when I think back and think about 
how small I was and going through that. It's almost, it's almost impossible. And I think my friend has like, you know, nieces and nephews and some of them are five. And it's like, when I think about me playing with them, it's so hard for me to imagine that their brains have the capacity to think that way. And I, it just, yeah, it just shows, you know, how bad things were. The fact that, that you could think that way at that age. And also the fact that you were, you know, thinking at that age, oh, I need to look after my mom. Do you know that kind of a way? Yeah. Um, the, the, the the fear, I guess, of like, like always waking up in the middle of the night and going, is she here or is she drunk? Or is she, where is she? Is she like on the side of a, the, the, the road somewhere? Or like I have yeah. a diary, I have a diary there that says that like I cry myself to sleep every night. Like I was eight. I was eight. Like, oh my God, Claudia. I know I look back at it and I was like I can't believe that like and the dates are in there and like my spelling I can't even bloody spell half the things right when I'm talking about crying myself to sleep every night and why is this happening to me like why does nobody understand I just want my mom I just want to warm my family like why does she keep picking the drink over me and I think it was only until I moved when I was eight that my aunt sat me down and was like Chloe your mom isn't isn't going to get better like this is a disease and I think then I began to go, oh, like it, something clicked going, okay, I wish someone had kind of t- told me about this before because I'd held on to so much hope. Yeah. Back together. So that gave me a chance to accept, to accept that it was yeah. different than her just not being well. But then it was, why are you picking it over me? Like, why don't you love me enough? Why am I not enough for you to stop? Yeah. When I stopped living with her, it was every Christmas, every birthday, every special occasion it was she'd let me down or she wouldn't she'd be drunk or like everything so like I don't celebrate Christmas I hate my birthday now I don't do any of that stuff because it just reminds me of like all the stuff that I never had or all the disappointments that I have so like I just won't do it um it's just certain stuff that I just never got um so yeah it's it's hard to think back on being being a child and, and going through that. Like, but the, th- the hard thing about someone having someone as an alcoholic as a parent is that, like, you know, it's not them. Like, she wasn't yeah. a bad person. She was actually quite a kind, loving person. And I know she loved me to death. Yeah. She couldn't help it. Um, she couldn't help it. And it got harder. As, it actually got harder as the years went on because I started to grow up. Yeah. And I started to get my mind a mind of my own. And I started to, especially I moved to Offaly when I was 11 and I picked up hurling and I was on all the lads teams. I was on all the Kamobi teams. I was like, I was unreal. Yeah. Everyone yeah. wanted me on the team. And I took to it, like duck to water. I was on everything. Yeah. And my life was consumed by GAA. And I had found this new like way to like release. What I was, was it, yeah kept me like going and I felt I guess I think back on it now with the team I felt wanted I felt loved I felt appreciated yeah um it was almost like Family. a family myself. Yeah. um before that I had a big a love for art I always knew I wanted to do art I used to sit there and draw cartoons I got my gift from her she was yeah. very just um but that was a very lonely thing too like you don't I didn't draw with other people whereas no. she gave me gave me like companions yeah. It gave me like this bond. It gave me this team, and I loved that. And I loved feeling appreciated. And I guess it was some sort of validation that I wasn't getting because yeah. at the time I just felt like, why am I not good enough? Why yeah. am I 
myself for you to love me or why did you give me away and as I got older that became and developed into anger yeah like my self-esteem was on the floor and like as I got older obviously I started to have a mind of my own and like when you start saying no I have a match this weekend it's oh well you don't love me or you don't care you're picking this over me yeah um so there was a lot of that and as she got older she got more as I got older she got more vicious on the phone when it came to drink yeah I didn't have a mind of my own but like once I started to bite back yeah good night Irene like the words would just like be said and it's hard to hear very very like hurtful things from someone you love and someone who's hurt you yeah things saying tell me things like I should have been aborted like stuff like that you would never never want to hear from your parents and like I I know deep down that she didn't mean that like of course I do but I'm one of those people that I think my I don't know if anyone knows anything about love languages but my main love language is words of affirmation and when someone says something to me I find it very hard to let go of it yeah like a lot of things that she said to me over the years I found it very very hard to release it and I just got more angry at why she would like be so mean to me or like I just like why did I like what have I done to deserve this you caused me this life and yeah she'd ring me and be abusive on the phone and and like that went on for years up until she died like um and the hard thing about that is when we were moving to Offaly and the story was so come back to rural Ireland and all the rest like you don't want to tell people that your mother's an alcoholic because it's shameful yeah. um, but the, the story was was that we were going to say that she was an air hostess and that she was away flying all the time that's why I had to live with my cousins now before I lived with other cousins and they had a second a different second name to me so people would ask questions which was hard yeah. so younger but these cousins had the same name as me so it wasn't different I just said yeah. But you know what? I got to the point and I was like, no, I don't want to lie about it. Look, to me, these are my brothers and sisters. Um, it is the way it is. My mother's an alcoholic. I'm fostered. And that's just how it is. I had social workers. I had more social workers and I had hot dinners. Um, and that was just the way my life was. And I decided that I didn't want to be like, I didn't want to lie about it because yeah. it wasn't my fault. <laughs> like, I didn't ask for this lie. Yeah. asked to be in this situation. Yeah. But I found it hard because nobody else I knew was going through something like this and everyone had their parents and it was always like yeah I'd, oh, I'd go ask my mom or I'll go ask my dad I just didn't have that and I never felt comfortable anywhere I lived because it, it wasn't my own I wanted yeah. to be my mom and that was it I always felt like I had been I a that someone had taken on because you know no yeah nobody else wanted me how how did you when you were let's say you know you're past primary school right you're going into secondary school right when your brain is kind of developing and you're coming aware of you know social lives and all that type of stuff I know you're on about that you pretended before and then you were honest about it so when you were going through secondary school I suppose and, and college you know how did you deal with those feelings of shame in your own head and like anger and hurt you know, growing up with an imperfect family because, like, you know, that's not common in Ireland. Like, you know, I come from a divorced family. That wasn't common and single mothers and things like that. And so how did you deal with that? Because people can be very judgmental, and especially at that age. It's very, very, very difficult. And if you don't come 
from a situation where you can understand how that feels it's, it's hard to imagine to be honest when I went from my primary school in Offaly it was so small it had like I think seven people it was me and two other girls and and that was it and but at this stage I was so good at being the new girl like yeah. I had it down to a T I had been to so many schools that I was good at this yeah. I didn't have like friends from anywhere else because every time I moved I had to make new friends I yeah. was bullied in different schools we knew whatever it just it was like water off the duck's back so when I got to Offaly and I took I made friends with the lads more so because I took so well to sport yeah. and I got of course girls don't really like that either yeah um, but I didn't really talk about anything else. I my whole life became about GAA and being good at art and camogie and football and being captains of things and and my whole through secondary school, I never missed a day of school. I was extremely good in school. Like I wanted to I don't know where this came from. I just knew from the get-go I wanted to go to art college. From day dot, art college. It was the only thing I ever put on my CAO. I didn't have a second thought. I didn't have anything. It was art college and GAA. And that's the only thing I focused on the whole way through secondary school. And I didn't think about anything else. And there was so much, there was so much going on in the background with my mum, with phone calls and stuff. I, because I felt like I had to be grateful that a different family had taken me in I'm like well Claudia if you this is what happened it was if you don't be perfect at everything and if you mess up here you're going to be kicked out and you're going to have nowhere to go you this these people have taken you in you're not their daughter you're not their actual okay we were family but this was my thought process if you mess up if you fail if you don't be the best at everything they're going to kick you out because you don't belong here. So I tried to perfect myself at everything and everything I did. I tried to, I, that's why I put my heart and soul. I got, when everyone was going off to discos, I got a waitressing job when I was 14. I made sure that I was working. I was working two jobs. I was working the cool camps. I was working as a waitress. I was, when everyone's going off to like the bigger discos, um, I wanted to save to get a car. I didn't want to ask for anything. I just wanted to be quiet, do well, get myself to college and my whole thing was get your degree get to college and your second half of your life will be better than the first half and you'll you'll do that for yourself you need to do all this stuff now so that the second half of your life will be good so like that's all I did that's all I focused on was I had to be perfect at everything so I was very very critical of everything I did and and I guess that's why then when I suffered very very badly with depression for years probably from the age of maybe I don't know I was quite a sad child as well I probably went a lot younger than I realized it back to when I was crying every night when I was eight like it probably started from there but suffered really really badly but I powered through each time and I think it was firstly out of fear that I would be that I was a burden and that I didn't belong there and I needed to be perfect and secondly I was like no I just need to get through this part so that like my second half of my life will be fine and once I get my degree like I'll be able to build a better life for myself so I just didn't talk about how I felt but I was always sad and I always felt like I had the weight of the world on my shoulders that I had like a dark cloud over me that like I had a really heavy heart and that like I had a constant lump in my throat and anytime I spoke to 
my very good friends at the time about like my mum was saying this and it's so hurtful they'd be like just cut her off just cut her off stop answering the phone stop doing this and like yeah. I know they didn't mean like I know they didn't mean harm by that but like I can't just cut my mother off you know like I love her like she's yeah. all I've ever wanted so like I felt like nobody understood and I yeah. didn't want to cause trouble for anyone I just wanted to get through what I was going through and the only thing that kept me going was the likes of the GA and stuff and that's how you cool and I just didn't talk about anything and I never forget the first time I remember being I must have been maybe 16 or 17 I remember putting a belt around my neck in the room and like squeezing it like tying it and squeezing it really hard and thinking like I'm thinking about it like at that age and I was like no you just have to get to college just you need to get to college you need to get to college and it'll be fine and that's I don't know like the I think the statistics show that like foster kids getting to college and completing college is something like less than three percent um I don't know where I found I think it was more ignorance stubbornness to be quite honest I'm quite a stubborn person I think yeah. it was more stubbornness than anything else I blocked everything out um anyone who's dealt with an alcoholic spouse or parent to a loved one will know the lies and the alcoholisms that come with it. Yeah. A lot of lies, a lot of deceit, a yeah. lot of saying things to get their way to guilt you into feeling certain ways. Just before my junior cert, um, my mother told me she had cancer and she was riddled and she was going to die because she was in an argument with me. And I had no way of finding out if this was true. This floored me absolutely. Um, had no way of finding out if this was true. Doctors wouldn't tell us because obviously patient confidential. Right before your junior cert. So this went on for months that I thought she was dying of cancer and I had no idea. And it all ended up being a big lie. Um, she manipulated that whole situation to make her the victim. Yeah. Um, then she would ring me and tell me she was going to kill herself. She would tell me if I didn't do this, like I was the only reason she started she was living. If I stopped talking to her, she would slit her throat. Like there was oh in God, and out. Of there was just like stuff that teenagers, kids shouldn't have to, to listen to or go through. And like to, like I was always always had to be the bigger person. And like there was so when she used to, she really she moved house then from she used to live there in not too far away from my grandmother's house and she moved out to Black Rock yeah very secluded out there she used to be able to walk down to my grandmother's but she was very secluded out there and that's kind of when it went downhill so um she was out there for like seven years but like there's nothing around she didn't have my grandmother to come into so she drank a lot and she would she was a big binge drinker like she would drink bottles of wine for weeks at a time like she could go through six or seven bottles of wine a day like yeah liters of bottles of vodka I would binge for weeks and then suddenly come off it and anyone who's knows or has a family member with this like this can bring on like obviously you're flushing out all your your liquids in your system and stuff it can cause bring bring on seizures because your electrolytes are completely down so this is happening a lot that she was like binging and then stopping suddenly and then seizuring and then ending up in hospital until the one time in, I think it was in 2012, she did it. And we I, we got a phone call to say, 
she's had a seizure, blah, blah, blah. Um, she's in an intensive care. You're going to have to come up and say goodbye to her. Like, she's brain dead. She's never waking up, blah, blah, blah. We're going to have to take her off life support. So, like, that was 20, 2012, I think. How um, old are you? So, what am I? I'm 28 now. So, 20, 21, by the way. 17? 17? 25? Oh, my maths are way off. 19, 19. Was it 19? If I'm 28 in 2021. 20, yeah, that's a, I'm an accountant, I should notice. <laughs> okay, you were you were like late teens. Yeah, I think I was 19. I actually think I was 19. Um, this is why I went to art college. Maths would not be my strong point. Yeah. Um, yeah, so that was it. That absolutely floored me. I was driving up and back from Dublin to Opley to go do my job. I used to work in the county arms and I was driving up and back um, into the hospital then back up to my shift and then back again. And she was in there for the doctor told us she'd never wake up. And then the next day she was gonna wake up. So it was very traumatic. It my was God, like, what a thing to tell someone. And then I know someone, it was all oh, like Jesus Christ. Brought us up to my God to say goodbye. And then it was like, even if she does wake up, she's gonna be completely brain damaged. And I was like, oh my God. And then the next day, they like then like they tried to wake her up and she woke up and she was fine and I was like well no she wasn't fine she was yeah but functioning like she was a bit cuckoo but um she was alive like but I was like this was to me it was like finally like she'd been in and out of rehab three times in and out of fairs and I remember she came out of rehab she was off it for a year and a half and I never forget we were living in Comanium and she was hoovering in the sitting room and I came out and she was dancing with the Hoover, singing along to Celine Dion or one of them. And I was like, I stood and I froze and there was a glass of Coke on the table. Yeah. And I froze and I started crying and she was like, no, no, it's not a drink. She knew well, I thought that she was drunk. Like, yeah. I taste it, taste it because I thought it was vodka and Coke. Yeah. She did, she did nearly succeed um, in staying off the drink. She was off for a year and a half and then obviously... Long time, Jesus had Samantha and gave her up for adoption and that went that went south then so when she came out of it when this happened in ICU and she nearly lost her life I was like this has to be the wake-up call she needed has to be yeah sure she didn't remember a thing so to her I had been yeah. through this the most traumatic time of my life for the last three or four weeks and she didn't remember a bit of it she got yeah. out of hospital and went straight back on the drink and it just slowly slowly declined over the couple of years actually I'd say slowly it rapidly declined over the couple of years afterwards um there was nothing I could do for college I was in the pits of depression at this point um I never spoke about how I felt I never spoke about um how bad things were in my own head I just felt like I I was never going to be happy I never felt happiness every night I went out I was a crier I would drink and I would cry um, I felt so alone I was living in a college house I'd left my foster house that I was living in yeah things didn't end great there so I was completely by myself um, Tusla actually was it the Tusla at the time the aftercare system um, pays you a s- small amount of money to stay in, in college sorry if you stay in college full time until you're 23 they'll give you a bit a month and um, whatever yeah whatever a week per month yeah. um, to pay your rent and to pay everything so that's what I was I think it was 800 euro a month or something um, right. something like that so you pay your rent and you pay whatever else at that time I was living off a bag of Aldi pasta and a bottle of ketchup 
a week because I had about four York to live off. And I was completely, my friends would go home at the weekend and I would just be there by myself with nobody and nothing <laughs> um, every weekend. And I was like this, I couldn't do it. Like I just couldn't do it. Um, and that's when I had my first suicide attempt. Um, I just the loneliness. I just felt like I couldn't go on. I felt like it was never going to get better. Um, that was obviously not successful, and I just I wasn't hospitalized or anything. It was just something that someone came back and found me and made me throw up and all the rest. And I was like, oh, I was stupid. I was drunk, and I was this and that. And that was fine. Moved out of that house. I got a job in the orchard at the time collecting glasses um yeah which turned into crush do you remember the orchard yeah yeah by down by the river yeah 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 I had originally gone for bartender but they gave me a glass collecting um job and I was like I took I would take a scooping up shit if it gave me extra money like so but my my college at the time was five days a week so I had to be there nine to five Monday to Friday and then I do three or four nights a week so like you're finishing at three o'clock four o'clock or whatever so like it was like I was working four nights a week and I was doing college like full time um I wanna I really really want to I really want to get into that I want to I just want to ask you something before we move on um what's your I'm just curious now because especially because you're working in nightclubs and (laughs) you mentioned going out like what's your relationship with alcohol you know I know people alcoholic parents some some take to it some some never drink what's your relationship with it was it a difficult relationship no actually I always I think it was because I suffered from very young from hangovers I was like and I used to ask my mother I'm like how the hell do you do this I was like how do you do this how do you actually get up the next yeah. day and take another drink I actually my I find I have quite an addictive personality in the yeah. sense I'm all or nothing I'm very extreme but with yeah. regards to alcohol I'm fine like thank god I would, when I was younger I would have been very weary of other people drinking and being drunk around me yeah um, but thankfully that hasn't affected me um yeah it, it, it would have like I would have cried a lot that's what I said when I was growing up yeah raising my teenagers when I started drinking and going out I would have been that crier that one that got yeah. upset and, but that wasn't to do with alcohol it was more so the fact that I didn't talk about my feelings yeah, and it all a drink will bring that out of you. If you're pushing it down, you will just crumble when you're yeah. drunk. Yeah. But other than that, I'm actually I'm fine. Thank God. I uh, actually yeah. Thank thank God because some people don't drink, but then some people you know you either go one extreme I, or the other. I, you love, can end up I do love pints, but like uh, this next day, I'd be like, absolutely not. Yeah. Like, that's why I always say I can, I'll never be an alcoholic because I can't drink the next day because I'm puking. <laughs> <laughs> that's a blessing and a curse. Absolutely. Um, yeah, that's that's unreal. I was just curious. I was curious about that. But there was there was actually no. I think about it because there's been sometimes there was there's a park just outside where my grandmother lives here now, and there's yeah. a couple of couples, and they were like, I remember going out, and they were like, "Is your mother or like Hal?" And I was like, "Yeah, why?" And they were laughing, and they're like, "Oh, she is the one that just we passed out along the canal," and I I was only maybe. 11 or 12 or something that absolutely what that 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 was horrific that was horrific because then people didn't know me down or didn't know her down and awfully obviously but she was known down here as being the drunk around the town or the one that was falling in the door or being brought home with the guards and stuff that was really really upsetting 
and then when I think about like times and stuff I remember one night I was working when I got working in I think it was Crush at the time I was working in one of the small bars and I saw a woman that kind of reminded me a little bit about my mother yeah and I thought really like violent with the, your man or like really kind of ratty and aggressive and like she fell and made a show of herself and I just burst out crying yeah I came out of nowhere and I burst out crying because it reminded me of that time going that and I know your one was just drunk and like she was just no, had but 100% to, like but that made me burst out crying and I was in a little bar by myself I don't know if you remember it was just in at the door yeah something in me like I was not a crier at all like I was stone cold like you'd never see a tear from me and I burst out crying randomly when I saw that because it just reminded me of the embarrassment I felt that that was my mother along the canal or being brought home or stuff like that but I think that was maybe the only time that something like that has ever affected me um which was really I think of the young fella saying that to you I know oh my god they obviously were older if you were a child they obviously were older well, they were they were like as in they were probably 13 or 14 but you know how young people like yeah it's a, it's a cruel kids are cruel they are cruel they are cruel but yeah um I don't what know. how did you approach achieving peace or understanding or forgiveness towards your mom I feel like you moved to anger first and then you moved to peace and forgiveness so what was that journey for you how did you did you get to that place and how did you do it? Yeah, so when I really struggled, um, when I was really struggling and I had nobody, I had so much anger because I was like, why am I in this situation? Like, I didn't ask to be in this situation. Like, yeah. she would still, like, I'd be in the depths of darkness and she would still be ringing me, giving me abuse, telling me I wasn't good enough and that, um, like, just all this horrible, like, all these horrible things. I was never going to succeed in life. I was never going to do this. I was never going to do that. And she'd just be ringing me and just give me abuse. And I, I would already be in despair, like, and especially after, so I had a, a near, so in second year of college, I had a near fatal suicide attempt. I'd had enough. I was in an apartment by myself in Limerick. I was working a couple of nights in Habitat at the time. It was a crush. It was a crush. It was a crush. Yeah. Um, and I had nothing and nobody during the week and no friends, no family, no nothing. I was in the same four walls all day, every day. And I was in a ball of depression. And I just decided one day that that was it. And I ended up in 5B in UL for um, four days. And I got out of there and I felt so, first of all, the way they just let me out and go back to the apartment was a disgrace. Like I was blessed. It's gas. I talk about when I tell the story. It's an absolute like uh, chance of I don't know what that I was found. Your man that was meant to collect or check our fire extinguishers in the apartment. Like there was nobody ever going to find me because nobody was going to come. Yeah, uh, to check the fire extinguishers and found me there because the landlord had apparently posted a letter to say if if he knocks and we don't answer, they have a key. They're just going to come in and check and make sure things are okay. And that's what he did. And I was. God, conscious um with a letter and the whole thing ready to ready to go and that was why my life was saved which is absolutely wild um but when I got all days of all times like that's the chances of it is absolutely the one in a million like one in a million but I got out of there and again felt extremely lonely went back to college and um I was so fucking angry at my mother. Like I, my father, sorry, my father had been in touch and in in the process of all this, a couple of years back, we had all thought that we had different dads. 
four sisters and four fathers. Yeah. But we found out that me and Alan, my youngest sister, had the same dad. But he disappeared out of our lives as quickly as we found out the information. Just useless. I'm, yeah. not, even, I'm not even getting into that because it's not worth talking about it. But so he was gone. But she was specifically gone and would still send me abuse and stuff like this, even though I was trying to get through college. Yeah. Trying to my rest. And the anger got worse and worse over time where I would give her back. Like I would tell her to fuck off and I would tell her to yeah. like that she was just this was her fault and like I held on so much anger and that didn't go away and like it was so upsetting because she kind of tried to get sober and be like part of my life but I was so angry at this stage I was like it can't just come back into my life now that I'm 23 yeah. and it suits it I was like I have a life now and I'm grown up you don't know anything about me like yeah. Again, I was the parent, she was the child, like I had to be the bigger person. And I had held on to all this stuff, all this trauma. She didn't remember half of it. Yeah. Um, so I kept anger through that whole thing. Um, and then, but at the same time, I wanted to see her and I wanted to, like my worry was that she would die and that I would never have a good memory with her from when I was in my adult kind of teenage yeah. adult life. So in for Christmas 2016, the apartment I lived in down in Limerick, she came down and she stayed sober and we had a Christmas together, just the two of us. It was the first time, it's the only time since I was probably seven that I've had a good Christmas or celebrated Christmas. I went out and bought, I bought a tree and we had dinner and oh, was it hurry? No, no, go on. It was the only Christmas. I really cherished that moment and um, that couple of days because it was the first time in my whole adult life that I'd felt that she was like some bit of a, a mom to me because I had to go to work and she came home and she cleaned the apartment so it was just lovely um, so anyway um, she went home then after that and it was back to the, the normal stuff and um she had actually told me after that that I don't know if had she been in and out of hospital in the meantime, but I had left. I I had had a retail job that I was miserable in, and I left over a sexual harassment case, and I started my own business. Oh my god, Clara! Does it ever fucking end? No, it doesn't. It was, I there was a in that apartment. I was kicked out. I was uh, evicted because my landlord was trying to. Um, extort me for money because of mold and stuff oh, it was just that year was horrific yeah. <laughs> so 2017 in May I left and I said I'm going to start a business I um set up a little corner in a place called takeaway t-shirts in the back of my shop in Linder when I was doing a business out of there and sorry in the meantime I left out an important part I graduated college by some fucking miracle I got through it I graduated college in November 2016 and um, I thought that once I got this degree that like it would be worth it I put 10 years of like all this shit at the back of my head and I was like just get this degree and like one way to Australia and everything will be fine and I got my dress I got my hair makeup done and everything for the day of my graduation and went up got my piece of paper I was saying piece of paper I got my degree yeah. in my animation course which was my dream and I remember sitting back down and I've never ever felt worse in my life it was like I had pinned 
10, 12, 15 years onto this moment. And I thought that like that hole in my heart was going to be fixed, that everything was yeah. going to be better once I got this done. And that hit me like a ton of bricks. Um, I went out that night, I had a couple of drinks and I had a full on mental breakdown and I lost my mind basically that night. Um, so the next day I went to the GP and I went in and I told them that I was very, very, very depressed that um, my life had become unmanageable, that I felt like I didn't want to die, but I felt like I was just existing and yeah. I, couldn't, I couldn't do it any longer. So he prescribed me antidepressants and I went on them. And at that stage, life was so awful and miserable that I know people say when they go on antidepressants, like things get worse before they get better. Yeah. So I was at so much at rock bottom that it couldn't go anywhere but up. Yeah. And there had been so much stigma around medication. And because my mother was an addict, I didn't want it to go. Wary. You'd I didn't want to go and depend on a substance to get me through by. So I, I left it to the last thing. But at that stage, I couldn't get myself out of bed. I couldn't yeah. do the things that people tell you to do, like the exercise, the, all that. Yeah. So it wasn't possible. So I went on antidepressants and after a couple of months, the overwhelming feeling of being alive went away and I could start doing all those things that people recommend, like the exercise and the walking and all this kind of stuff. So that's when I had the courage. I left the job. I started the business. Yeah. And I was living out in... Where was I living out in? How old were you at this stage? I was 20. This was 2017. So four years ago, so I was 24. Okay. I was just going 24 when I uh, started that business. Had you started talking about it? I know you've been talking about this online for a while, but had you started talking about it at this stage? Uh, no. 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 I, you were still me. dealing with this completely by yourself. Nobody had any idea about anything. Um, about the antidepressants, nothing. Nobody knew anything. So then I left that job and we had... Oh yeah, so that was May. I had a great summer. I was like, this is great. I'm doing something I love. Like I'm building a business. Like yeah. I was happy. Even though I wasn't making that much money, I was happy. Yeah. And I was, like I was, I was doing stuff that I love doing and that you just couldn't apply for that. And then in August 2017, uh, we, myself and my, my now ex, um, came home. We were on a holiday in Marbella for a week and we came home. I think we were home maybe one or two nights and one of our mutual friends um we got a phone call to go in uh that he was missing and the car was outside and we had gone in and opened up the gym found that he took his life in there you can you found his you found him so I rang the ambulance but it was it was too late um so that was our last. Um, we went through the whole process again. I won't talk about this person because they weren't my family. It's not my. It's not my business. Not my place. But it was horrible watching the process. Everything that was going on. Him being removed. The coroner coming. Um, announcing him dead. All that kind of stuff. I watched it all happen, and uh, it was extremely, extremely traumatic for both myself and my boyfriend at the time. Like we didn't know how to deal with that. Um, 
and the group that his all I could think about was his family and his family didn't know and we were sitting there and we knew and I knew where they were and I knew who they were and it was just it was horrific um and we went through the whole funeral stage we went we went doing all that kind of stuff and it was only until a number a week or so later probably like eight days later um maybe maybe nine days then I realized that my mother hadn't been online on Facebook in um in in, a, in about a week and I rang her off the hook I got a really bad feeling I rang her off the hook and even if we were fighting she'd answer um but she didn't answer she wasn't reading my messages I was ringing her ringing her ringing her I went into work the next day and I was like I have a really really bad feeling I told my ex at the time I was like I'm gonna drive up I was like I there's just something that's it why she's not answering um and he was like why don't you ring the guards um and just ask them to go in around and have a check in Black Rock instead yeah. of you driving up I was going to take the car and just drive up because I had keys and I was like yeah grand so they went around knocked there was no answer they were like well we don't want to break the door down because like she could be up there asleep I don't want to do that she could be just on a bender like I explained the situation she does this a lot but also she really is bad with her mental health and she's an alcoholic and everything else um so I was going to work that night in Habitat um, and I had so I had to organize with someone who had keys the only other person that had keys the house lived in Bray and I had to organize him to come down, beg him to come down that night. He said he was only in from work and he'd be down there for about um, half nine. I had gone into Habitat for like nine o'clock, I think. And I told him, look, I'm a little bit worried about my mom. Um, I might have to leave um, if there's an issue. They're like, yeah, grand, no problem. Um, I've been talking to a really lovely band all day about it. And when they were waiting for the, your mom to come down with the key. Yeah. Um, it had become whatever time was half nine and I hadn't heard anything and I remember texting my ex being like I can't help but think this is the same thing that's happened with um himself last week and um, they found her body there you have to wait for the coroner to get there blah 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 blah, blah. he was like Claude, look what happened last week it was horrific that's not the same at 10 past 10 on the 6th of September um I got a private number call then and I answered it and it was a sergeant and I knew then that it wasn't it wasn't good news so I just said please just tell me and he just he was like where are you are you sitting down are you doing this and he just said I'm really sorry Flora so she'd taken her life as well um so that was that uh, all in the space of a week these two things happened too it actually so the next day, we had found out that she'd actually done it the same night that our friend had done it. She'd been there for 10 days. Oh and nobody had noticed because I was the only one that contacted her. So I didn't notice that she was offline. Um, so with that, and this is something I have found very hard to talk about for a very long time. But when human nature takes, or like nature takes its course, um, a body that's been there for 10 days with the heat on isn't uh, isn't something that anyone wants to see or go through so we actually weren't allowed um, we weren't allowed to see her we weren't allowed into the house uh, we weren't allowed anything normal so with the whole 
because things are so bad in the house, they had to uh, they had to rule out foul play, uh, which went on for another two days. Once they had done that and given us her suicide note, I took it upon myself to go to the house and go in anyway, which was, and to pick up and take whatever I could because I had so much stuff there that I'd given to her. I wanted to get journals and stuff like that. But it was something... And this, it's taken me years to even admit what had gone on because I suffered with PTSD over it for months after. Oh, God, Claudia. Um, just something like a horror movie. Uh, it was something I felt like this smell, stuff like that. I'd never get out of my my, my nose. The, 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 the viewing, like the, what happened, what I could see. It's things, little things like maggots and flies and stuff like they will still trigger me now like that was all stuff that just stuff you shouldn't have to do but when losing a parent is already hard enough losing them to suicide is hard enough again but all the stuff that came with it was just a different level of complexity and a different level of trauma that I was never 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 prepared for and then I had an awful, an awful lot of guilt because obviously we were distracted with with Joe's funeral and everything and I felt guilty that I hadn't been checking on her and and everything like that but yeah that was that was that and her life her life has ended then and and I held anger with her and the last message she sent me was that she was really really sorry for everything she caused me and uh, I didn't reply to her so I held anger right up when she died had a lot of it um so I never let go while she was alive I used to do um I used to go to Al-Anon meetings which was the only place I ever felt like somebody understood me which are meetings for people that have either spouses or parents or children or anything with who are alcoholics and for the first six weeks I went, I just sat there and I sobbed my heart out because I, it was the only time in my whole life if anyone could understand what was possibly going through my own head. But I never let go of that anger. And um, I have guilt. I still have guilt. I have guilt that I didn't write back to her. I have guilt that um, I was angry at her for so long and she died thinking that I didn't love her. So um, it's hard. It's hard because alcoholism is it's horrific, and it's not my fault. I know I, I had every right to be angry. She was horrible to me at times, but I had to put barriers up and walls up to protect myself. But um, yeah, I do. I deal with an awful lot of, of guilt and and stuff now and it's only since it's really only since she died that actually yeah it's really only since she died that I've been able to forgive her because I've gone and tried to heal myself because I had patterns and behaviours that I was doing that was a result of how I was treated yeah my self-esteem and, and things like that um but yeah, I never, I never let go of the anger, and and it was, it was. She left, she left two suicide notes. Um, sorry, she left two suicide letters, 
one was telling me how much she loved me and everything, but one was blaming me. And I have to live with that. I know it's my fault and I did my best that I knew how to, but uh, yeah, I the it's very hard not to be angry. It's very hard not to be angry at someone who's treating you like that. Even if you think that it's the, the disease, it's very hard not to be angry. Um, so all I can think of is I look at you and I just think you're probably one of the most unbelievable people I've ever spoken to I don't think anybody who has been through what you've been through could sit here and talk about it and try to help other people from such a selfless place and there's very 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 people who could ever go through all of that and become a better person and and even how even the way you coped when you were a younger girl and when you were a teenager where it wasn't a way to better yourself and better your life like that's unbelievable unbelievable um I'm not even going to sit here and, and try to say something like I can I can you know what I mean I, like there are no words but you should be incredibly proud of yourself and I I'm that's how I feel I look at you and I'm just like floored I, I try now to be and and that's when I started to talk about it I felt like I lost so much that I was like I've, I've got through the worst of it like I can't lose anything else I got through the foster care system I got through the aftercare system I've got through the suicide attempts I've got through my mother's suicide I've got through finding like these people I've, I've done all this stuff I was like the least I can do is because my issue when I was younger is that I had nobody to look at and go, they're going through something similar and they'll get through it. I didn't think I'd get through it. I just didn't think I'd ever get to the other side. And I never saw light at the end of the tunnel. So I was just hoped that, like, and I was in the pits of darkness, there was no light. So I just thought that if I could get through all this and still survive, that maybe one person could know that, like, if they're going through something horrific times and, it, and I always say better days come but they do and I'm living proof of that and it doesn't happen overnight and it's hard and it's awful but they do and I used to be that negative person that thought that the the world was against me and I was glass half empty and if you ask people who know me in the last few years to describe my personality, she's funny, she's bubbly, she's happy, she's positive. I love your Instagram, you're so positive. That was once not me, like, and it's possible. And I and people think it's a fit quick fix, and mental health is not uh, a destination, it's a journey. I came off my antidepressants in 2019, and I did all my hard work in 2020. I dedicated that whole year to bettering myself. I was in a in a car crash at the end of 2019 and I remember lying in the bed. I went through some awful things in 2019 as well with different employers and men and stuff like this. So I was lying in the bed at the end of 2019 by myself and I thought, I put so much love and effort into everybody that comes into my life where they constantly fucking me over and I was like, you know what? For 2020, or 2020, I'm going to put that love and effort into myself. And it was probably the first time I sat down and had difficult conversations with myself. And I said, why am I triggered by this? Why 
am I this way or why am I the way I am and I had to accept my triggers and accept the issues that I had myself so that I could learn from it and grow from it and why was I getting so wound up over this or and I went and I read Lost Connections was the first book I read yeah. I the first time I ever for the three new year's resolutions I made in 2020 I was driving home from Limerick I have the story still up on my on my, on my um Instagram it was one I wanted to make my bed every day because someone once told me that no matter what kind of day you have, you always have a made bed to come home to. And I really, really like that. And I made my bed every day for the month of January. And there hasn't been one day I've left that room that my bed hasn't been made since. Yeah. Habit. Number two was I wanted to read one book. I didn't want to read a million book. I just wanted to, in the whole year, just read one book because I hadn't read a book in years. Not since yeah. I was in school. Had no interest in reading. <laughs> And the third one was to fix my relationship with food and exercise. I have a bit of experience with um, disordered eating. Yeah. Um, and there was a lot of issues around there. And that comes from like a place of, of like self-esteem and self-worth and stuff like that. So they were the three things that I did. And I started off with making my bed and I bought Lost Connections. And, and once I started reading about things that interested me and that I could relate to, I was like, whoa, um, I read The New Earth, I read Atomic Habits, I read all these things and I was like, whoa, I can like, like learn these things about myself, like make myself a better person and I can like understand other people. I read um, Surrounded by Idiots, which helped me try to understand other people. And that way I felt like no matter what happened, like I was healing myself. So what anything anyone else did around me, like it was on me, it was... Yeah. Um, and yeah, I I feel like I just I transformed into my what like it's cliche cliche and like cheesy and stuff, but my higher self um in twenty twenty and it took hard work and it took very very lonely days and lonely nights when everyone else is sitting in. I'd only moved to Dublin. I had no friends up here. <laughs> just here, like when everyone else is sitting out in the park drinking cans with their friends, I was reading and yeah. I was reading and I was. I had was trying to do everything I could to make me a better person so that I could be happy within myself and that I didn't carry on the generational trauma and stuff like that and that I could heal from things because it's not my fault no all these things happen to me but it is my responsibility to fix the issues it's my risk I can't sit here I can choose to sit here and go no the, the world dealt me these cards and I deserve this and I can't do that I can sit here and do that all day, but it's going to get me very, very, like, yeah, it's going to get me fuck all. Like, or I can just choose to be proactive and use the experience to make me a better person to learn from this. And I find that now I'm the most, I'm grateful, I'm ambitious. And when I think I'm resilient, obviously, one of my best, um, and one of my best, um, like, traits, I think, is my adaptability because I've had to change and chop and change places of work places I lived everything like if I in the morning if you put me out in some random country and said something or whatever if something happened I'm like okay just give yeah. me five minutes give me a can of monster yeah <laughs> I come up with a plan and I feel like yeah. I've, had to, I've done every I've face painted I've hair braided I've collected glasses I've worked in chip vans I have done anything I could I know I can make money because I've had nothing 
I come from nothing and I know if I had nothing again, I'd survive. And I can be put into whatever situation and I'll adapt to it. And I think that no class can teach me that. And I'm grateful for the experience and for the person I am because I know that I'll survive no matter what. I think it's honestly unbelievable. Like you in life, you have every reason to be a victim and nobody would have even like people would have been like you you're dead right you know what you are a victim people would have even almost enabled that do you know what I mean and the fact that you've literally done the opposite and you've been like taking that control of your life and realized that when you had every excuse under the sun to take an an easy not an easier route but like a do you know what I mean because working on yourself is hard fucking work like it's hard enough being dealt uh, like you know such a difficult life and so many so many horrifically traumatic things happening to you but then to also deciding, no, I'm actually going to do more hard work and I'm going to look at myself and better myself. Because like you said, there's nothing easy about mental health. There's nothing easy about therapy. Like I've had friends recently start therapy and they're like, I'm crying all the time. What's going on? And I'm like, yeah, welcome to welcome to bettering yourself because it's not it's oh, not just going and talking to someone and coming out like, oh, magic wand fixed. Like it's yeah. it's genuine hard work the same way exercise is hard, but even more so because you have to look yourself in the mirror and point the finger at yourself when so many things were out of your control and aren't your fault at the same time. So even just hearing you say that, hearing your whole story, it's it's astonishing in like the most amazing way. You should be so fucking proud of yourself. And also on the back of that too, even even working on yourself with saying not nothing to anyone, do you know what I mean? So proud of yourself. But the fact that you do talk about it, think of all genuinely and no exaggeration, the lives that you will save from talking about this and and being the way you are and committing to life the way you have and committing to your own betterment the way you have. You will genuinely inspire and save lives. And that's that's no that's no exaggeration to say. Um. So, you know, I, I, I like I, I just you, you should feel nothing but pride for who you are like and I just you know I, mean. I just think that people get so hard they're so hard on themselves because they're not like they're not like fixed straight away or like I feel like social media at the minute is all about you need to be self-improving you need to be doing this you constantly need to be improving like you do not need to prove your existence on this earth to fucking anybody yeah you just need to be happy within yourself and I feel like Everyone is looking at everyone going, I I read 70 books this month or I did this or I did yoga or I did whatever. And they glamorize all this stuff and forget how fucking hard it is to sit down yeah. this conversation and go, Claude, actually, like when these things upset you, you can be a bit of an asshole and you need to not be, that's not their fault. And not being triggered by things and not being wound up by things. Like I had to do a lot, a lot of hard work and acceptance of my flaws and my trauma and stuff for me to go okay it's not okay that I reacted like that it's not their fault yeah. or you can't hold on to anger about all men because that man fucked you over and yeah. it, 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 it it's regarding everything and I feel like I know people say hurt people hurt people but like it's our it's our responsibility yeah to heal ourselves from whatever is going on. Otherwise you're going to keep carrying it and and nobody's suffering other than yourself and the people around you. And I pushed, the thing about it is I pushed everyone away. I didn't know how to survive. I didn't know how to ask for help. I I just, all I could do was keep on going. And I lost friends from it. I lost secondary school friends because I wasn't keeping up with it. And I, I had moved away and they probably thought I was a bit of a bitch because I just never bothered. But I was, 
I was just barely surviving. I was barely hanging on and and that's just that's the reality of it and it, it was it was hard work and I look back on it now and realize what I did and I probably pushed a lot of people away but I never did it out of like bad. how would you have no like I mean how can you look at 14 15 6 year old your brain is still literally developing do you like, know what I mean people are assholes at that age who have no reason to be assholes just because life is hard and you learn and you grow like the fact that you were even functioning at all the fact that you literally were waking up every day and going to school and not even going to school, trying your best and attend, like the fact that you were the person you were is literally close, not a miracle, but like close, it probably is. Yeah, really, to be honest, that kind of way. So I think well, like, the, like I, I recovered, obviously, and, and like I had to keep it up. And like I said, mental health is a, is a journey, not a destination. And, and I thought I had to go back to therapy for an eating disorder. And, and I felt like a failure because I'm like all about um you need to you need to talk about your feelings you need to do that and I wasn't talking about this because I was ashamed of it because like oh the girl that has healed from depression and talks about we'll talk all day about her mother's suicide and talk about this and talk about that but won't admit that she has an eating disorder because she's so embarrassed about it and people don't talk about that as well like you can heal and then realize you have to revisit it and yeah a couple of months before Christmas like I was at breaking point before Christmas like there was a lot of things that went on there. There's a lot of stuff going on in my personal life, stuff at work and everything. And I was struggling big time. Like, and it happens. Like your life is going to kick you and punch you at some point. And then it's going to be good. And then it's going to be bad. And then it's going to be great. Yeah. It's going to be mundane. And But it takes work and it takes work every day, just as if you were an athlete in your training. There's some days you don't want to go to the, the gym. There's some days you don't want to go to the track. And they're probably the days yeah. you need it the most. Yeah. But like that, like I have a, I have now developed like a mental health toolkit and I have spent years trialing and erroring what works for me and what doesn't. And they're the things I pull out on the days that I know that I need them, the darker days. Cause I do have dark days. I absolutely do. Um, and it's just about like, it's, it's not easy. It's not easy, but it's, it's worth it. And it does get better. What advice would you give to somebody who has an alcoholic parent and have struggled with the same things that you or would have had the same situation as you. What would be your advice to them right now if they're younger than you? Go to an Al-Anon meeting. Find your nearest Al-Anon meeting and go to that. I swear to God, it was the only place I went to counselling when I after my mom had said she had cancer that time and lied about it. Yeah, counselling in the in the GPs, and she just sat there. I went, yeah. And how does that feel? And and how do you feel about this? And it just wasn't right. The only place I ever felt heard or understood was Al-Anon meetings. And I don't think a lot of people know that they exist. I've never even heard of that before. How do you even spell it? They're A-L, so it's like capital, it's like Alcohol Anonymous. Yeah. The, the family, so they're called Al-Anon, so A-L and then A-N-O-N. If you look them up, there is so much of them around the country in small towns, big towns, cities. You just go, everyone's a first name basis. I think you pay like two or three euro every week just towards the um keep the biscuits, yeah. the tea, everything. You get like a little book. They do something similar like the 12 step program. They do a thing every week where they pick. I actually should go back. I stopped going to them. I should go back because I feel like I probably need it. I'm gonna go to actually I'll talk about that in a second. Um they do like they pick a theme every week. So this week it could be guilt, and then yeah. next week you'll hear everyone. There's there are people there for 35 years. Yeah. See, when I went used to be in at the start, like when I was, I would fall crying like at everything. I wouldn't talk. You don't have to talk, but I would yeah. 
I could see I was triggering the older people, the older members, because they could probably remember how it felt to be in my shoes in their first meeting or their second meeting. Yeah. But like they would come over at the end and they would just put their, their arm around you and they, they'd give you their number, call me if you need me and they go through things. And it, it was honestly the only place I ever felt like I was understood. And I can't explain that feeling because you really don't get it unless no. you a parent or if you've gone through someone with like an alcohol problem, you just you can't get it. You couldn't possibly understand no. how horrible it is. Um, so that would definitely, I would have done that a lot a lot sooner and I would have kept it up I should have kept it up because maybe I could have healed from the anger before she had died because I held the anger and you had your whole life your whole life there's that would take that would take another 20 years to work through so I think instead of I know therapy is great and counseling is great but if it's specifically for someone who's dealing with an alcoholic parent I couldn't recommend those meetings enough it's been the only it was the only place that I felt like I made any sort of progress or felt any way better and I could just sit there there was no shame because everyone understood yeah everyone got it yeah and it's nice that there's different ages there as well do you know what I mean um and there's people there with husbands wives kids parents like older older kids that have um older parents that have dealt with it for years and years like my mom died when she was 49 so like I don't know what would have happened if she'd stayed alive and she'd still be doing this and I was living in Dublin and like do you know what I mean I don't know what way things would have panned out but I know people that have had older parents that drink all the time they just drink themselves into oblivion and they're older and like it's harder so there's so many different walks of life in there and we all get it because yeah. you share that one thing in common and you understand what it's like to have that person that 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 is lying and deceiving but you still love them and can't let yeah. go you know? can't not love even even if you even if you cut a parent out of your life you can't there's it's like a primal feeling you can't stop yourself from loving them it never goes away no. and you never you never reach a point where you really don't want them in your life you just always there's always going to be that hope that they'll come to their senses and they'll get their shit together and do you know what I mean a part of you will always hope for that I think yeah that would definitely definitely my advice 100% what is it like essentially being in a situation where you've had to raise yourself and what's your advice other than the from the alcoholic point of view if someone's kind of gone to a situation where they're essentially in a situation where they're literally raising themselves and pushing themselves throughout and are the child and the parent to themselves what is your advice to somebody um so I guess I I never really knew any different so it's only until you go through kind of big milestones in your life that you realize oh I have nobody here for this or do you know like I have nobody to depend on or do you know like a big thing was when I was going through do you know what a huge milestone was for me I did the Limerick Rose the year I left Limerick in 2019 it was a great experience and the stage night the final night we got there and everyone had all their family there and they all had signs and they all had people shouting and cheering for them and I didn't and that that was hard um now I know I'm well aware I don't have that I'm well aware I don't have this I think um I don't know why that was different for me. Um, I think because maybe I was in that healing process. Yeah. I was out living by myself. My relationship had broken up. My sister had come 
I have spoken openly about it. But you know, when people come up and everyone has like, like you see on telly, they all had the signs, they all had, everyone was yeah. cheering. And I walked up and I didn't have that. And that really affected me. And I, that was probably one of the first times in a, in a very long time that I felt, oh, whoa, I'm really by myself here. And after I spoke about my situation, I got the biggest cheer ever at the end of it. But it didn't take away from the fact that I had nobody there in the first place. So things like that, even though I don't, I can't really miss what I never had. Um, after the thing about grief is that after my mom died, it was September and I went to a wedding in January. And I remember sitting there and they were going through the speeches and it hit me. I've never, who do I have at the top table? Yeah. Who do I have there? Like, do you know, little things like that, that I guess when you're getting to them points, you know, when you see people my age, oh, my mom's my best friend or my dad's yeah. my best friend. It's it's only them kind of things that I'm like, oh, I don't have that. Um, Was it hard struggling with, like, let's say even as a teenager, you know, because I do think that there's a lot of people, like there's a lot of people in Ireland who, who, if they have a family, I think there's a lot of people who don't have a great relationship with their family even if they're living in the family unit, you know what I mean? Even if they're in each other's lives, they, they really don't get on with their mother or their father, even if they're present. Um, yeah. And that brings a lot of shame in Ireland. People don't even like admitting that because I feel like Ireland's such a family unit kind of a culture. It's very hard to admit I'm actually not close to my parents and we don't get on yeah. or I don't like, I'm, I don't get on with my siblings. And then, or you know their parents or and I feel like and then people kind of half pretend that everything's okay and then there's a lot of shame around that so did you grow up with like any resentment and you can have anger when you see someone you think oh you're all best friends and you have a great time and they're great too did you it was a very hard like to deal with resentment and anger at people or people who give out about things you've like you've nothing to give out about you know I mean obviously before you know what I mean like I try to be like extremely like I feel like I'm an empath and I try, I try to be extremely compassionate and I'll never forget this conversation I had with one of my college friends we came in from a night out and this was like a little bit after my first attempt and we sat at the top of the stairs and we bawled crying I can't remember what started us off but I know why I was just moving out of where my foster house I was living in things were really really rough for me and she was telling me how upset she was about her skin and her hair and how much it was getting her down to her self-esteem she was bawling crying I was bawling crying and I was like and we were talking and she was like I just feel like I I can't say this to you because you have so much going on and like my problems are nothing to yours and I was like like are they affecting you the way they're affecting me like are your problems affecting your mental health the way my problems are affecting me and she was like well yeah like I was like are you struggling she was like yeah well then I was like well then my problems are it's not my your fault that you yeah. don't have the problems I have I can't wish problems on you so you understand how I feel yeah. like I can't resent you for not having the issues that I have your yeah. problems are just as valid and your feelings are just as valid if they're making yeah. you feel like that and I think people think that and this is a huge thing in Ireland Asher Mary down the road has it worse off than me oh so this person has it worse off no like your feelings are very very val- valid like yeah. the way I see it is Okay, some people have, everyone has a place and mine might be a very heavy place. And 
I might have a sturdy place, but someone else might have a bloody plastic place and someone else might have a paper plate. And the paper plate might not have that much on it as much as my steel plate does, but it's just as heavy because it's paper and they're not able to deal with it as much. I and, love that. And someone that drowns in seven foot of water is just as dead as someone drowns in two foot of water. Like our, our trauma is not a competition. And yeah. I hate that mentality. I've had loads of people to go, oh, I feel like I can't give out about my mother because you don't have one. Well, if your mother is fucking pissing you off, then give out about her. If your mother yeah. is toxic, like people seem to think that like parents, if you have your parents and they're alive and they're there, that, that means that's the end of the world. It's not like they, your parents can be toxic too. Um, I've had a lot of that where people won't, won't talk to me about things. They're like, oh, well, I know you're an orphan. I'm like, yeah, but that's not, your faults like yeah. you can still talk about your problems yeah. you mean so uh, there other uh, <laughs> there was one day and I try I actually really try and be the most understanding person ever yeah. but I remember being in art college and I, a girl that I went to school with or that I was in college with was going on I must have been I'd say I just had come home gone, come back from my near fatal suicide attempt and she was like oh my god I can't wear nail varnish out tonight because I'm getting my shellac done tomorrow so like I'm not gonna have any nail varnish for a night out tonight and like like how is it gonna match my outfit and like she was freaking out about the thing oh no going, I literally tried to kill myself two days ago and you're sitting yeah. there nail varnish yeah that's the only time I ever really remember thinking like the anger coming from you like shut the fuck up <laughs> or sometimes when I see people that are like completely completely ungrateful like yeah people are really you know when you see people go out of their way like for me like the likes of presents and stuff if people put thought and things I'm like oh my god you thought of me like I'm a really grateful person yeah so that would just not like I wouldn't be resented but I just wish them that they would be like a little bit more grateful for the people trying or you know that and but I would never try resent someone I don't think it's I can't wish for anyone else to have a harder life just so they can understand how I feel like that's not fair yeah um, and like that I um obviously I was obviously put on this earth to be able to deal with what I've dealt with and some people aren't able to deal with maybe other smaller things they might not have the mental capacity or they might not have had the upbringing or whatever it is yeah you can't blame them for because Mary has it worse down the road like sure in that sense you everyone should go to therapy like everyone should be able to talk about their feelings and get support regardless whether it's big small or indifferent everyone deserves support for everything and anything and I would never resent anyone else for having a better life or having a happier life or anything because I haven't it's not their fault I I I think that's another just testament to the type of character and type person you are because I think that there are people who 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 can let that pain eat them up and they can they can turn to a bitter place like he like hearing your story and then hearing you say that um it's just amazing like I'm just and if anything I've learned is when I thought like when things that I thought I was like this has to work out like this is my big break like this is where I get it and it doesn't work out and at times I was thinking this isn't like I'm never going to get a break like I've realized looking back that some things fall apart so the better things fall together and I've just had to trust the process I am not a religious person um, and I for a long time was very numb with the whole thing but I feel very spiritually um, like I'm, I'm quite in touch with the universe and I believe in the timing of my life and and things are set out the way they need to be set out and I just trust that um, like 
I just so trust that things are going to work out. I can put in the hard work and if it doesn't work out, it's just not meant to be. And um, yeah. I live my life on being the person I needed when I was younger and being the change I wish to see in the world. And they're the two two ways I live my life. And, and I spent a long time carrying a lot of hurt and a lot of anger in my soul. And the only person who was upsetting was myself because what's that saying? Um, carrying on to anger is like drinking poison and expecting the other person yeah. to die. Yeah, like me being annoyed at my dad for the way he is, or me being annoyed at these people. Like, I'm here living my life annoyed, and they couldn't give a fuck. Yeah, who's the fool here? Like, do you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, the second that I was able to start, and I and that became from I started to learn about human behavior and study human behavior, and it gave me an ability to accept the people. And look, people can say it's all fucking bullshit, but it helped yeah. me. And surrounded by idiots is a book about the four personalities the yes. four color personalities and I have come into contact with a lot of reds and at the time I would say like I would cry and be like how could you say that to me like you know and I would cry for hours and be like how could you be so cruel and like how could you say this and like really really horrible things and now after reading books like that I can go oh yeah because he was like this no don't get me wrong it's not scientifically proven by any means, but if it's given me an ability to heal from what I was hanging on to, then I'll take it. Yeah, yeah. And it lets yeah. me then deal with other situations going, okay, this fella is a bit of a fucking arsehole, but he is what he is. I'm yellow. He's red. We're kind of not going to gel that well, but that's okay. Do you know yeah. what I mean? Um, yeah. And I had to put that work in so I could I could let go of all what was going on because um if you've ever Sinead my therapist well my yeah. if she ever comes back Love Sinead. recommended the body knows the score which is about how trauma is carried in the body um physically so like I noticed that like the headaches the migraines like when I'm stressed like I'll carry the like in my head and my shoulders and stuff like that and the more hurt I was carrying the more like I felt like I was heavy and had that feeling so when I was able to let go of that like it was me like that started to flourish I believe in all that stuff and and who's to say if you if someone told you taking skittles every day would help you who and it worked who's who's to say otherwise who like you know what I mean whatever helps you heal and whatever helps you feel better and get through life do it and fuck anyone else that says otherwise if that's going out and dancing naked under the stars and and just live and let live and do whatever you need to do to look after you and yourself and stop worrying about everyone else because they're not worrying about you yeah how would you have wished people treated you way back then when you were a child and you were a teenager um, and you were a young woman growing up with everything that you were carrying and everything that you were going through how would you wish people could have treated you to that would have helped you instead of hurt you further for anyone listening to this and they might know someone who can relate to your story is going through something to your story and they don't know what to do or people who have no idea what it's like to be you what would be your to help them not cause more hurt around them you know I think I would and I think this needs to be brought in from a, a younger and early education and um, side of things I wish that adults had been honest with me okay um I understand they had a need to protect me and back then it was obviously 21-ish 22 years ago like things were quite different than they are now yeah but I do wish someone had sat me down and tried to explain a little bit about 
do you know, mum and, and her alcoholism and stuff like that. I wish the adults that were supposed to be looking after me had had explained a little bit more. And I wish I had been taught more about mental health and, and stuff like that. So then I wouldn't have felt like I was such a freak of why I was so sad. The only thing I knew about mental health was that my mother was constantly trying to kill herself and that she like was a, an alcoholic and like my sadness had nothing got to do with that so I was like well I can't be like her like I'm not depressed I'm not trying to kill myself and I don't drink yeah so one of my friends it was the first time I was ever touched by suicide when I was 16 had took her life and the school didn't know how to deal with it and um, yeah and we just brushed it under the carpet never really talked about it so that was a big thing I think around that time is that there was I wasn't spoken to all this crack of keeping things under the carpet and being quiet and and stuff like that like that I feel like hindered more than helped yeah um and I can only assume that that's what they were conditioned to think that was the right thing to do for a young child and um, but I'd say nowadays to try and be open if there is issues like that your children will thank you in the future um yeah about being honest and 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 talking about that kind of stuff with regards to other people that may have said things or done things I don't think it was their fault and I don't think you can kind of like fault them they didn't know like you don't know how to act you can't and they couldn't have known how I was feeling but I would always say be kind to people like you really don't know what's going on when they go home in the evening what's going on behind closed doors and treat everyone with how you would like to be treated um yeah and I feel like if you do that just just be nice to people you know be nice to people I really can't go back and forth people because I don't think I don't think there's the right way of everyone's story is going to be different and individual I would say to parents if you can talk to their talk to kids and and that but like especially and especially if someone has lost someone to suicide or grief in general I think people are afraid to talk about those people or they pussyfoot around the subject yeah I, I don't I want to keep my mother's memory alive and yeah. I want to talk about her and I know people feel awkward and and people want to keep their loved one alive by talking about them so do that like be out straight um and as well like with regards to if you have any worries about people that are you might think are are in harm or or uh, like are thinking about suicide ask them out straight there's this myth that goes around if you ask them that they're going to push them on over the edge that's not true when you ask someone out straight like are you thinking about suicide it opens up the conversation and it opens up um the to say this is a safe space and it's okay and and just ask them a second time and like check on your check on your happy friends and check on sometimes it's not sometimes it's not always personal either like especially these times right yeah. now at the minute like be a little kinder and more understanding to people and what they're going through like not everyone is being very honest I know I'm a waffler I'll t- tell you all day how I'm feeling but not yeah. everyone do that um, and it's usually the most unexpected people that are struggling the most so um yeah just try and be be be, be a good good human good kind human do you have do you have any to end it on this note do you have any life motto or mantra you use like with you and your hat like do they, what's the one thing you say to yourself when you're like i need to like Ugh, you know mm 
So I, I said already that the, the two things I kind of live by is to be the change I wish to see in the world yeah. and to become the person I needed when I was younger. But I like I think that I put I have always put myself under a lot of pressure. So now every day I'm just like just one percent better. Every day I'm one percent. I love that. So today, if you're trying to start off on your new year and your goal is to drink three liters of water a day, and you have drank no water today, tomorrow drink one glass. That's yeah. it. Just one glass. And the next day, drink one and a half glasses. And the next day, drink two glasses. And that's how I started with the book two years ago. I said, this year I'm going to read one book. And if I'm trying to get back to the gym, I'll go, okay, I'll just go to the gym. Yeah. If I decide when I get there, I don't feel like doing anything. But at least I got to the gym. It's 1% better than I did yesterday. And usually by the time you're there, you want to do a little bit and you feel better. But stop trying to fix my life all at once. Yeah. 1% 1% better every day. That's all anyone can ever ask you. And I had like a little, um, I had like a thing on my Instagram. I had done up the, um, not the maths of it, but so it's like reading 10 pages per day is 15 books per year. Saving five euro per day is 1825 euro per year. Drinking two liters of water a day is 730 liters a year. And walking one kilometer a day is 365 kilometers a year. Becoming 1% better every day is 37 times better per year. So small daily habits are invariably be patient and keep going. Um, I read Atomic Habits and that, that book really changed my life. Like you don't realize the small little things that you do every day. You don't need to make monumental yeah things happen every single day of your life to prove your existence and your and your worthiness you just have to keep on grinding each day and eventually the, the results will come just one percent better every day and I think that's not enough that's not a lot of pressure to put on yourself like that with new year's resolutions yeah. I from here to March I'm not going to plan out for the rest of the year because I don't know what's going to happen so I reevaluate them again in March and I'm not going to put myself under too much pressure because life yeah. is hard and yeah yeah one percent better I love that. Yeah. <laughs> I think that's I think that's brilliant advice um to to round it up. Um I literally just want to say thank you from the like deepest darkest pit of its depths of my heart. Thank you for coming on and chatting to me for no being so honest for being who you are um and just just absolutely everything. Like thanks a million and I'm absolutely my pleasure I could actually sit here I think we've been talking for three hours exactly. <laughs> yeah. three hours. I know you're actually so easy to talk to like I actually am like, I don't oh, shut up that's my problem <laughs> <laughs> I love it keep talking <laughs> anyways um right so I'll leave you go because it's 20 past 11 and we both need to go to bed soon <laughs> but yeah thanks a million thank you so much for having me on and uh, I hope anyone is listening just know that things will get better Right, lads, we'll chat to you next week. Hope you have a lovely evening and bye.